In this episode, how to deal with burnout and failure as a product manager, working well as a PM with customer-facing teams, and what I've learned about parenting and product management, all on this, our second Q&A episode of Product Happy Hour. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Product Happy Hour, where you can go to happy hour with your favorite product people, that's us, in your sweatpants. We are product folks here to share what we've learned often the hard way over great drinks. Why happy hour? Why not? It's the best way to get the inside scoop from grizzled vets with the scars to prove it. Thanks for giving us a listen. The best ways you can help us keep this party going is to do us a huge, huge solid and hit that subscribe button on YouTube. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts for easy listening anywhere, anytime. It's a really great great way to help us out. And don't forget to rate us and like us on your platform of choice. Finally, head to our website at ProductHappyHour.com and please consider supporting the show with a paid subscription. It's either $5 a month or $30 a year. That's literally one Starbucks latte a month or one DoorDash order a year to keep this sucker going. With me as always is Ira Joe Hall. Hey, Ira, are you pumped or are you pumped? for answering questions in our second ever QA session. So pumped, um, but I don't want you to get sleepy. So shall we jump in to answering questions? That's that's the thing. That's the thing, Yara. I'm always sleepy. That's just <laughs> that's just what life is now. Uh, we should get into it. But before we do that, let's play our favorite game, What's That Drink? Yara, what is that fancy pink drink that you got there? This is a mocktail, actually, today. There's no alcohol in this. Oh, whoa. Um, because yesterday I drank in excess and yeah, in support of not throwing up during this podcast, <laughs> decided not to drink, but it is, yeah. I don't know. It's some cute grapefruit juice that Adam made with lime. Nice. Wonderful. Yeah. You know, we definitely support not throwing up right into your microphone on a podcast. Yeah. That yeah. It's an expensive I'm microphone. Sure, I'm sure everybody <laughs> appreciates that. Uh, this is a Carl Kolsch. From St. Elmo Brewing Company here in Austin. Got a nice beer. We're recording on a Friday. It's Friday afternoon. Beer's in the cards. It feels nice. Good. All right. Well, uh, I want to thank everyone who submitted some questions uh, for doing so. Submitted some really great questions. They're ch- pretty challenging. Uh, so let's just dive right into them. Does that sound, sound good? Let's do it. All right. So the first question, how do you deal with burnout? Hmm. Alejandra Carlos sent me this one. She's a friend of mine from college, so thank you. And um, yeah, let's talk about burnout. Burnout, pretty serious stuff. Uh, yeah. Um, for me, I experienced two kinds of burnout. <laughs> one is just like daily work burnout, and the other one is like job burnout. Um, what about you? That I think that's about right. And they're both is- kind of different. Yeah, they are. And it is important, I think, to distinguish between the two. Yeah. Okay. So, so how do you think about like separating? Like, how, how do you, yeah, how do you figure out which one you're experiencing? Ugh, it's hard because, okay, so daily task burnout, like for me, just means where I'm getting sick of doing repetitive things or I just like, I can't, you know, I always know when I dread going to a meeting, like a reoccurring meeting. That's like, I know it's like, oh God, it's starting. Um, Whereas the other one, like job burnout, (laughs) it's like, hey, uh, yeah, I am feeling uninspired um, right now in this respective project. I'm feeling, I just, I, it's, it's not about a meeting and it's not about something small. It's not about, you know, the annoyances of like working. (laughs) Um, so that's there are very two those are two very different groups, and both of them can affect your happiness. Um, and because we are so central to our team's health and energy and motivation, like it would beho- behoove you to kind of get on top of those. let's let's start talking about like daily task burnout and some strategies I use to deal with that. Yeah, before we do that, there's also career burnout. So, yeah. right? There's like that's worse. probably also. People, that's the probably the worst one where you're like, am I in the right career? Is this yeah. the right type of job for me? Mm-hmm. That's probably, uh, a, that's also probably a different animal. So maybe we should, uh, yeah, that's probably, we should probably talk about all three of those because uh, that third one is beast. 
Uh, okay, so daily daily task burnout. Um, yeah. Let's see. Okay. Uh, take stock of what's critical versus non-critical. I think if you're anything like me, sometimes things are repetitive and you just do them because they're on your calendar. But we don't always evaluate our calendar like for the big picture to be like, oh, like, do we really need this reoccurring meeting? Oh, and does it have to be at four o'clock on a Friday? Um, just taking stock of auditing your meetings, um, evaluating if this thing is still needed is like a healthy thing to do. And I live by my calendar. I literally have this on the last Friday of the quarter. I do this before I start the next quarter is I will try and see if I can open up more positions on my calendar. That's how I like avoid it. But if you're in it right now, just look at your calendar and say, ask yourself, if I didn't go to this meeting or I didn't go to this meeting, what would fail? Um, do you do any like meeting auditing? Because I, I honestly feel like for PMs, like meetings are one of the most grueling things. I think this is probably the biggest unlock I've had over the last four years. Is really? I had a boss. Yeah, I had a boss tell me that I was doing too many things mm. or trying to do too many things and not doing enough of them well. And I think you could probably say that about a lot of PMs, not the doing well part. Maybe you are doing it well, but you're probably trying to do too many things. Uh, it's in our nature, I think. It's like we're just overachievers. Yeah. We're all type, probably like type A. We all want to succeed and uh, do the right thing. If you're think, considering this profession, you probably are that type of person. So the chances are pretty good you're overcommitted. And so I would go to every meeting. I was asked to be a part of, and it just resulted in me running around one. So I was late for everything and two, not having enough time to do the actual work of being a product leader. So I just didn't do it. And, yeah. um, <laughs> and so things didn't get done the way they were supposed to get done. So, and I just don't think I was, I wasn't happy. I mean, you want to do fulfilling work. You want to make progress. And just yeah. sitting in a bunch of meetings, half of which are not helpful at that moment in time is not the way to do that. So yeah, I 100% agree with this one. Like doing an audit, you know, think about what you need to do today and what meetings you have. And if you need to be in all of them, mm -hmm. you know, big, big question you should ask yourself. It'll definitely help with the burnout because you probably are just overcommitted. Yeah. I don't know if it's like the immigrant mentality in me or it's like, <laughs> I honestly used to think like I have to do everything I'm told and I have to do everything that's assigned to me optional or not. And like, that's how I know I'm being a good anything. And that's such bullshit. Yeah. yeah. No. <laughs> like a happy PM is a PM who's working on important stuff and who knows how to say no. So your daily schedule is reflective of how strong that muscle is. If your schedule is full of crap that like, wasn't really that important or felt like a waste of time more than, you know, seven fifty percent of the time, get out of it. Mm-hmm. hundred percent. Yep. Totally right. Okay. All right, let's so keep going. I like these. All right. Another thing I do when I feel like I'm getting bored or like I'm not engaged is and I learned this actually from Adam. I learned this from my fiance. So he will work thirty minutes on something that's like really hard and annoying and then he will take a ten minute break. Like, he, I, you know what I used to do, which I think is like a huge contributor to burnout is like, I'd be like, okay, tomorrow I'm going to wake up six hours on this project. <laughs> I'm just going to grind it out after a week of avoiding it. Okay. Yeah. And like the anxiety of avoiding it <laughs> contributes to burnout. And then six hours cracked out on espresso, staring at a computer screen. It's like, you look back at it and you're like, what the fuck did I do? Like, like right now... <laughs> I'm working at TikTok and I'm doing a very manual task. I have been avoiding it all week. I hope no one at my new job listens to this, but I'm like, this is really hard and it's daunting. And so I ignore it. And like, what does that do? That creates like a manic <laughs> six hour production, which is not a sustainable way to work. So 30 minutes on, 10 minutes off for things that seem hairy. I love it. That actually, I have a similar thing where... I just start something. If it's something I'm like 
putting off, I know I'm putting it off or I know I don't really want to do it or I'm delaying it. Mm-hmm. I will just open the doc, put a title on it. <laughs> nice. So That's good. It. I will just start. So just starting helps me deal with that because otherwise, yeah, I have the same thing. I'll just have anxiety. You know, half the feeling I have of burnout is just this thing just sitting on my head being like, oh my God, I have to do it. I have to do yeah. it. I'm not doing anything about it. But just even just starting the doc or like my dad gave me this advice actually, where he was like, just read. If you have to do something, read it, mm-hmm. read it so that your mind is working on it in the background oh. and you've taken the first step towards it. That oh. way you, you know, you can work on it. Uh, oh, dude, I avoid content. reading things. <laughs> like, no, because I read, I have to do something about it. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, best <laughs> advice. So the best advice got from my dad. So, dude, yeah, nice. There you go. Okay, so here's another little what I used to feel guilty about doing, but now like I know I'm a I'm better at my job is taking mental health days. Okay, this is <sighs> not like I'm going to take a day off because it's my kid's birthday or I'm going to take a day off because I have to go to a baby shower. No, this is a non-holiday, non-family obligation day that you do just for you once a quarter. And if you can avoid it, don't work on that day. Sometimes you need a meeting-free day to actually do work. That is a calendar management problem and you need to take care of that during work hours. (laughs) And if you don't know how, watch our time management hacks for PMs. It'll help you tremendously. But yeah, take a mental health day where you do whatever the F you want um, in order to put that dopamine back in your brain that has been drained um, through staring at work stuff um, that hasn't been keeping you engaged. Uh, August is a month with the least amount of holidays. So I always like the beginning oh. of the year. Yeah. I was like, okay, I'm never going to so get smart. a holiday in August. So I'm always going to take a day off in August. Otherwise I'll blow my brains out. <laughs> yeah. That's really <laughs> smart. That's a really good one. Yeah. I mean, I've, I mean, I'm sure you could probably look up a bunch of stats about how often people take vacation in the U S but it's really low. Yeah. And you know, we get these days off, not just holidays, but like we get time off often when we don't use it. Use it like that probably leads to a lot of burnout too. And I think maybe a lot of people are like, oh, I have to invest a bunch of time to like get a bunch of work done. And on some level that's true. But if you just keep investing the time, you don't take any breaks or you don't take any time for yourself, then you're just going to burn out. You're just going to, you won't have like a 10 year career or 20 year career or 30 year career doing this. You'll have like, you know, five years because you won't be able to handle it. Or you just be dumb. Like, I honestly, like when I'm burnt out, I am legit dumb. I make bad decisions. I give people mm-hmm. bad advice. I shortcut through things. Like, I am dumb. I am helping myself and the company and my team. <laughs> my taking day off. <laughs> yeah, if yeah. you did anything after this podcast to avoid burnout, go to your PTO. Go to August. Pick a Monday. Pick a Friday. Pick a Wednesday. Who gets a Wednesday off? You have no expectations on a Wednesday. And just block out eight hours to do whatever the hell you want. It's going to feel good. Yeah, that's good. That's a good one. Well, let's do it. Let's do a few more of these. These are really good. I like them. Okay. Another strategy, and I like didn't know that this contributed um, is to, but but now I realize that it's very healthy, is to preempt the burnout. So have a morning routine that energizes you and an evening routine that energizes you. Do you do anything specific, Ajay? Yep. Um, I try to meditate in the morning. I try to play some music too, as you can see Mm. around my head. (laughs) Um, Healthy eating has actually made a huge difference lately. So I've been making changes to my diet and that helps a lot. It's kind of weird. Like the days where I've eaten crappy are the days where I'm like feeling like crap around seven, eight at night. But the days where I've had like a clean day of eating, I'm like good until midnight. Like Whoa. I have good energy, no caffeine needed until midnight, which is wild. So it's it makes like a how, difference. yeah, like when you get old, you know, like your body can't handle alcohol, but mm-hmm. also your body does better on cleaner burning fuel too. So it's yeah, more obvious. Like, yeah. 
I mean, there's <laughs> there's tons of podcasts you can listen about this, but yeah, that makes a big difference. Getting enough sleep. I found that most, like a lot of the work problems I have, if I just slept, <laughs> would just go away. It's kind of, it's really amazing. And then just do other stuff you like. Like make sure that you're working hard, but then you're also like reaping the benefits of working that hard. Right. Because uh, if you're not, then yeah, you're just going to feel like all of it is just for nothing and you're just working for working and that sucks. You know, life is so much bigger than that. So totally yeah, do it. Let's pivot to job burnout and then touch on the scary subject of career burnout. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Job burnout. All right. You're like, am I working on stuff that matters? Those are the kind of questions you're asking yourself. Why does anybody care about this? Why is everything an uphill battle? That's like situational to maybe your OKRs that quarter or your targets or metrics or what you pick to work on. Listen, if you're not feeling inspired um, at least 50% of the time, Okay, you don't have to always be like, oh my God, I'm so, I love my job. <laughs> you don't have to be like that. But like, I say like half of the time, you know, that's pretty stable. Like if you're not, you need to evaluate um, if you signed up for work uh, that can either be offboarded or that can be reprioritized. And that's vague. I want to be specific without giving away too much work, but too much like, uh, I don't know, you can't just talk about company's internal projects. But I will say, I knew this happened during the pandemic. For a long time, I blame the pandemic. I'm like, oh, it's because I'm not in the office. That's why I'm not engaged in this work. No, it's because I knew that what I was was doing wasn't actually valuable and impactful, but I didn't have the guts to be like, let's pivot. So that kind of languished over time. Um, and eventually it turned me into just like an unmotivated person who really didn't want to do anything. And I had to have a one-on-one with my manager to be like, I don't think this is the right direction. We've learned enough to know that we should pivot. What are your thoughts? I know it's not the end of the quarter, but let's go. Like that's one example of how I was able to get out of that. Like this job sucks. This project sucks. (laughs) And, um, you know, it's just honest. Yep. That goes a long way. Um, I've also found that that's true. Like all the stuff that we were talking about with daily task burnout can apply to job burnout in a more macro level. So yeah, maybe you're not working the right projects or sorry, I mentally want to keep jumping into career burnout. So I'm like, oh yeah, some of this stuff might apply. To career <laughs> so I'll hold it. I'll hold it until we get okay. there. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Career burnout. Let's go there. Um, There are some questions you can ask yourself. If you're like, hey, is product management the right thing for me? Or is this situational to what's going on this season, this quarter, this sprint? Um, One thing I ask myself is what inspired me to get into this specific role, this specific type of product management, search product management, you know, and Mm -hmm how far close am I from that ideal? If I'm really far from that ideal um, and I don't see myself being able to change this role to look like that ideal, I need to do something a little more dramatic. Um, I started with talking to people who are in my ideal role um, before I like jumped on LinkedIn was like, open to work, you know, <laughs> Dude, that was my first, you know, the little banner that goes on the bottom yeah. of the, like, <laughs> fuck yep. this. What's that meme where it's like, it's Friday, you know, <laughs> the papers are in there. Um, uh, yeah. I think people, you know, when you're burnt out on your career, but I think a lot of people try and avoid it because there's a lot of change that would need to happen. Like imagine changing industries. It's even hard to change companies. Imagine changing like how you measure yourself, how you define yourself um, at work. I, it's quite challenging. I think I'm changing careers as kind of like a last resort. And what I mean is that I would run through the list of other things first. Mm-hmm. Are you burned out from your daily tasks? Are you burned out from the projects that you're working on? Do you feel like Smart. you're working on the right things like you would work through? Um, <clears throat> and then maybe sometimes you're burned out of your job. You know, 
something that I learned through experience, you probably have learned as well, is that sometimes a company just moves on. Your job, there's nothing wrong with the work that you're doing, your performance, but sometimes just things have changed at the company. There's new leadership, there's new priorities, there's just new stuff going on. And the position that you're in at that company, that company in general for you just isn't working anymore. Hmm. And that's okay. Like that's totally fine. Um, but that might be a good time to start thinking about a new opportunity before changing careers, because maybe just this just isn't the right opportunity for you anymore because things have just changed. Yeah. Um, so you might get a lot of value out of trying to sh- like trying to shift jobs first. And then if you shift jobs and you're still like, mm, I don't think this is the right career path for me, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. then consider making a change because I think there's a lot here around your physical, mental, and emotional state, the projects, the company, the team that you're working on. You might need to just shift teams internally. There are lots of other things that might be going on beyond your career path. But then, yeah, if the career career path is not right, then, then yeah, you have to do the hard work, like you're saying, of like getting into that that shift, which is definitely challenging. So I, I would run through all the other stuff first. Yeah. I mean, like our, I think as humans, our first instinct is I don't like doing this thing anymore. I don't want to do this thing anymore. Well, I guess yeah. you have to evaluate what level of thing you don't want to do anymore. Uh, I had a yeah. really good friend who actually, he and I worked together in the same cubicle when there used to be cubicles um, at eBay. And he taught me like everything he knew when I was working in um, structured data and taxonomy management. He got like a really high profile profile job at Amazon. And to prove himself, he worked himself to the absolute bone. I mean, like he had to see a chiropractor because he would work hours on end. And, you know, eventually he was like, I don't want to do this anymore. And then he took a medical break and he realized that the way he was doing his job is what was not sustainable, not that he didn't have interest in his job. Um, so yeah, a uh, medically mandated break um, is basically him taking stock, allowed him to take stock of like, what's sustainable, what's not, what am I passionate about versus what am I working on? Um, and yeah, he came back, he switched teams, um, started to treat work not as like, hey, like I'm going to launch this thing by this date, come hell or high water he tried to set a sustainable pace and he quite literally had to change teams because the the team culture didn't sustain his new way of working. Um, and that happens too. So there, yeah, like you said, there's a lot more variables you can tweak besides just saying, fuck it. I'm going to be a stay at home mom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. All right. How about dealing with failure and also uh, submitted by Alejandro. Thank you. Um, how do we deal with failure? You mind if I kick us off? Yeah, please. Okay. So, hey, failure is painful. Okay. There's no getting around it. In this job, you're going to fail a lot. So (laughs) some of it is also just getting used to it. Um, but I think having failed a bunch, um, both of us probably. That's why I'm laughing. Yeah. (laughs) Happens all the time. Um, Having failed a bunch, I think we can agree that this sounds corny, but inside of every failure is at least one opportunity to learn something new, improve a skill, or create a better process. Yeah. Nice. Inside of every single one. So maybe you learned you didn't learn enough about a particular problem and you learned something new about that problem maybe there's a skill that you have that's underdeveloped like understanding usability studies or talking to customers more regularly that you need to develop more in order to have more success with these types of things down the road or maybe the process that you had from getting from the user insight to the actual project you're going to ship is not where it needs to be and that needs to improve. There's always something to learn in there to improve. So when I see a failure, I don't 
necessarily always look at the failure and be like, oh, I, there's something wrong with me. Um, I'm not cut out for this job or whatever. I look at it and now and I'm like, oh, well, there's something I need to learn here about what happened. Would you agree with that sentiment? I think that. James Clear, he wrote, I think, Atomic Habits. Yeah. He sends out a, yeah, a daily newsletter with like three pieces of advice. And I've always found, well, I at least found his book really, really helpful. His, in one of his newsletters, he basically said what you're saying in a nutshell, which is like, if you haven't failed, you haven't tried. And if you haven't tried, then what are you doing? So mm-hmm. um, most people look at failure as something negative, um, but we really need to evaluate it as like an opportunity and corny. Yes. Effective. Also, yes. Totally effective. Um, I, I think of some examples of some of the biggest failures I've had in my career. You know, one was really early on. I It was the first time I did a major presentation. Okay. And the CPO of the company at the time, Chief Product Officer, while I was giving this presentation, he was watching me. And then afterwards, he was like, it looked like you had run a marathon before you did this presentation. Because I was just covered in sweat <laughs> covered oh, in sweat i wish i saw that i don't know if he'll listen to this but i think every time i you might if, uh, secret tip for everybody listening if you go look at some of the the comments in in some of the like life change threads that i've had like when i got a new job or something sometimes he'll comment and he'll make reference to this thing that happened because really? it was just so funny to him <laughs> and it's funny now to me looking back on it but at the time of course i was mortified it was to the point where like the presentation on the phone sounded great, but if you were in the audience watching me, you were just like, oh my God, this poor guy, what happened to him? <laughs> it looked like I was having a panic attack. Maybe I was, I don't know. Um, <clears throat> so tanked. I mean, it really did not go well. And okay. it was kind of almost scarred me from, from presenting. Were you talking fast or like sweaty or like rushing? Literally the minute, the minute I had to start presenting is the minute I started sweating. I was like fine before and then just presentation started and it was just like, I had never presented in front of that many people before. There was like, you know, 100 to 150 people in the audience. There was another five, 600 people on the phone um, or on WebEx watching. So, you know, I mostly had been at startups before. Okay. So that was kind of like the first time doing that. But then over time, you know. Uh, what I realized was that the more prepared I was one, um, the better shot I had at being less nervous in the presentation. And I didn't feel like I was like sweating bullets up there. Hmm. And then the more I did presentations, the better I got them. So it was just reps, just like constantly doing them, constantly getting in front of people. Uh, so now I present, you know, I don't really get waterworks anymore. No, Um, you don't. Yeah. Sometimes you, you don't even, you look like, yeah, you, sometimes you look like you don't even care. You're like, okay, people. <laughs> All right, people, listen up. So, um, yeah, you just, you do the reps. Um, you, what I learned was that you need to be prepared. Um, if you get prepared to where you know it without any notes, that'll call your fear pretty fast. And then two, just doing it a thousand times will make it feel like another day at the office, which, which is probably excuse me, probably what you sense is just, yeah, it's another yeah, day at the office. Just chill. It's another day. It, yep. I mean, I think that exudes professionalism where it's like, we don't need to put um, these situations up on a pedestal. It's part of the regular practice. Um, yeah. I've definitely yeah. rehearsed presentations. And sometimes I think if I rehearse, I'll get two in my head, but I need to just like not care as much. I'm like, okay, if I rehearse, doesn't mean that I care more. Just means that I'll be uh, more present to like look at chat or tweak it now than during, you know, or anticipate questions and write those down. The other failure I'll mention was more recent. Um, we had spent nine months researching user problems for this specific uh, part of the business that we were working on, and we were building a solution and running this really large experiment. Mm-hmm. Um, like we spent months, like I said, nine months putting this together, researching, building, et cetera. Um, and the experiment didn't have a clear positive result. It wasn't like a huge success, which Very is common, probably though. super common, um, happens all the time. And upon dissection, 
we learned a ton about the things that could work from the experiment that we ran, what was more complicated to unpack from the learnings in that experiment, and then just what flat out didn't work. Uh, what are the things okay. that we could jettison? And so it was really valuable in that way. We also learned that the problems that we were solving were still the right problems to solve, but our execution wasn't where it needed to be to truly solve those problems. Like one giant test, probably not going to work. Incomplete experiences that we were trying to offer weren't meeting user needs well enough. So we made a series of changes and it's now the basis of some of our biggest potential opportunities. We have better chance at uh, execution, better iteration on solutions to problems. Uh, so, you know, we learned a ton from trying it and it's definitely harder to sh steer that ship than if you had been 100% successful in that scenario. But it works out. It reminds me of Google Wave. I don't know if anybody listening remembers that product. No. Um, but it was a huge failure from Google. You could probably go look it up. Um, it was a huge failure for Google as a product standalone, but it's actually the basis, the technology in that product is the basis for all of Google Docs. Like it oh. basically powers all of the real-time collaboration on Google Docs. So Whoa. yeah, failure back then, but huge success for the next 10 years for Google. The next question, it's related to parenting. The question was, I was really inspired by a post uh, you, Ajay, wrote a few years ago about being a new parent. Uh, might be nice to get an episode on what PM learnings you can apply to parenting and what parenting learnings you can apply to being a PM. Uh, good questions. Uh, so I wrote a medium post, you know, uh, when my first son was born and I'll link that in, in the show notes, if anybody's curious and, and wants to read it, it was a really fairly lengthy article. It was 23 thoughts on paternity leave, uh, in the first month of, of having our son. And I think a lot of that, that stuff that was in that article, I reread it uh, now mm -hmm. having our second kid and a lot mm -hmm. of it definitely still applies. So I would check that out. One, um, two, in terms of PM learnings that I think directly apply to parenting, I've got about five and then we'll see if there are more. One, there's a lot of similarities between managing a product and managing a new member of the family. This is a project that you and your partner are doing together. So it's going to feel like that often. Um, and there's a lot of love, of course, obviously, you know, it's, it's slightly different, but there are still a lot of similarities. You're still like managing your time. You're still managing resources and priority. Those resources happen to be like your patience and energy. So it's a little different <laughs> than managing a project in that way, but there's still a lot of, a lot of similarities. So you know, there's a lot of great things that you can use that you've learned from managing products and projects that you can use in parenting as well. One of which is that there's never enough time. Mm. Uh, so you're constantly having to prioritize. Prioritization is critical. Um, and it comes down to even some of the mundane stuff, like should I watch this movie or should I spend time working on our podcast script? And you have to make those decisions about what's important to you. Um, so that's the same uh, as you would be thinking about those things when you're managing a product. Not every product problem is critical. That's the third thing. And some disappear with time. That's actually one of the nice things I think about both situations is sometimes problem comes up and they it gets resolved, whether you're working on a product and a problem comes up, but then new situations arise and you deal with them. Sometimes yeah. like things just work, work out. Um, especially when there are lower priority things, you decide to focus on the higher priority thing. Sometimes that medium to lower priority stuff works itself out. It's the same. I think in parenting, you know, you're, you have little kids, they're in certain points in their lives and then they grow out of whatever's going on in their life and they move on to the next thing. Uh, so very similar stuff, uh, for there's a lot of stakeholders. So managing stakeholders is critical. <laughs> Your stakeholders are different when you're a parent. <laughs> uh, so you have, you know, <laughs> certainly you have another child, for example, in our case, or there's grandparents or relatives, siblings. So, but you still have to manage, you're managing stakeholders. You're, you're generally like negotiating a good amount amongst <laughs> all of the stakeholders and stuff. So yeah, a lot of that stuff really handy. You learn a lot of stuff from product that's really handy in those cases. Um, and then five, understanding data and trends applies in a different way when you're parenting. So 
you know, when you have to care about how fed the baby is, how they're growing and developing, you know, having the data, your hands, looking at trends, understanding that one data point isn't going to make a trend. It's a series of data points over time. Hmm. I found that's especially helpful when you're looking at a baby's weight, you know, one weight data point isn't going to like completely uh, torque a trend. It's really about the trend and not just like one way in. So, uh, so those the types of things still apply. Does all that make sense here? Yeah. I, I mean, no, I mean, it makes total sense. I'm thinking about, as you're talking, thinking about situations where you would have to prioritize with a baby schedule or mixed people's needs for stakeholder management. Like, have you ever felt that, you know, there was a product skill that failed you when, dealing with your second child or your first child and you're like, oh, well, that didn't really work and you needed a new strategy? Yes. Um, it's related to, I think, probably some of the parenting learnings that apply to being a PM. Mm-hmm. I think when you have like when you have a team that you're working with and maybe things aren't going well, mm-hmm. um, sometimes you can kind of uh, like one way of communicating with the team is like, being basically stating that uh something is not working or something is like you know not where yeah. it needs to be and we need to figure out how to get to the next level and stuff and uh <clears throat> sometimes you use like your your emotions to communicate urgency um and mm-hmm. those can be um they can come off as like you know more urgent emotions or you know something that's a, yeah. feels a bit more frustrated that shit does not work with kids okay <laughs> like it's, they don't care if you're frustrated uh well it's i think just kind of diving into parenting learnings that apply to being a pm you know your tone makes a big difference calm and fun is always better than huffing and puffing when mm-hmm. it comes to kids it probably applies in the product context although there's probably some more leeway there in the in the product context and adults kind of understand yeah. why you're doing what you're doing versus kids are just like why are you being mean <laughs> i'm gonna be mean back and they have a lot kids have a lot more patience and time so they will wear you down if you <laughs> if it's a war of an attrition a war of attrition that you want you're going to fail because you know they have distinct advantages over you there yeah meetings come to end but your kid's just going to be hanging around you forever. So <laughs> they're they're going to hang around for you uh, forever. But they also just like they don't care. Where do they have yeah. to be? They're they're just <laughs> oh, you want to wait me out uh, to like put on my clothes? Yeah, I'll wait you out. I got it. <laughs> I, I don't have to be anywhere. Uh, so you know, it's just a different different problem set. Do you use bribery? Oh yeah. Uh, I mean, raising. I feel like raising kids. That is something that probably happens more with kids than maybe with the product team that you just, you can, you know, bribery is accepted. <laughs> it's an acceptable form of currency. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> That's like that. OKR alignment. <laughs> it's the same thing. It's like, do we have mutual yes, yes. goals here? <laughs> there, there it is. Yeah, it can be. I think the tricky thing probably with product teams is like you're, you can get into trouble when it comes to bribery with like, if you bargain away too many things, then that can, you know, affect scope and stuff like that. Whereas Hmm. giving a kid a lollipop, all right, fine. They stay up in bed for half an hour or longer, but there's no long-term ramifications. Watch me 10 years from now being like, God, there's long-term ramifications for doing that. (laughs) Sugar. (laughs) Sugar highs, but you know, Um, yeah, I, I can move into the parenting learnings that apply to being a PM. Um, try to deal with problems sooner rather than later. This is um, maybe it's something that we're seeing uh, more with a baby, but like a baby sitting in a dirty diaper, that's always going to get worse. So the longer you wait, the more upset they're going to get, diaper rash and all that sort of stuff. So it's just better to just deal with it. And toddlers get grumpier and grumpier the longer they go without getting something they need or want. Yeah. Um, so it's just better to deal with problems sooner rather than later as they come up. Uh, so, you know, that's something that's definitely applies in the product manager context. Uh, like we were talking about tone makes a big difference. Um, my dad used to say you attract more flies with honey than vinegar. Still great mm-hmm. advice. Um, yeah. definitely applies with kids probably can make you a better product manager. If you can avoid doing some of the stuff I was talking about earlier that, that I used to do. 
that's that stuff doesn't work as much as uh, being calm and fun, ha- having a good time. Um, three, it's better to convince and inspire than cold than uh, scold or punish. Hmm. So, you know, of course, there's a there's a time and place um, for for that type of thing, but convincing your kids by having fun, by telling them why they should do something or inspiring them um, has a lot of strong parallels to being a PM. You get better results (laughs) out of your team if you can convince them that this is the right thing to do or inspire them um, to do those things that you think are the right things to do. So that definitely applies for, I think this, we're going to talk about burnout too. Uh, So I think this applies there as well for take care of yourself. eat healthy, exercise, get sleep wherever you can. That applies in both contexts. I think if you want to be a good PM, you want to be a good parent. Those things definitely apply. And just jumping in to help the team be successful. Uh, number five, I mean, the more you can just kind of fill in the gaps, both in the product and parenting context, I think you'll be more successful. I think 80% of the job is showing up and, and then, uh, and, and I think that's true in both contexts. Like if you're just there, that's, that's already, uh, a huge, huge leg up. But with that other 20%, don't just stand there. Be useful. When you were mentioning the, um, you know, convince and inspire instead of scold and punish, like I have never been in a situation where if my team wasn't convinced at the outset, it went smooth. It just doesn't. There are questions mm-hmm. and like resistance all along the way. Um, it's interesting that that works on kids. Because, you know, you think, I don't know, the way I was raised, it was like, I am authority and you do what I say. And it was like more of a fear-based thing. But then, you know, that's how you get a kid who turns into a rebel. <laughs> well, you know, I, I'm, I'm curious. I haven't, I haven't sat down and talked to my parents as much about this. But I wonder if they would look back on those types of experiences and be like, uh... You know, maybe I made those things harder than they needed to be. Sure. Um, because, you know, I, of course, like every kid is different. In our case, our kid, uh, our kids, multiple now, um, respond better to just having fun, talking to them about why we're doing something mm-hmm. and inspiring them to do it. Like in his case, in in our older son's case, I encourage him to put on his own clothes because, you know, it gives him more control over, you know, his life and his environment and the kinds of things that he wants to do. It just works a lot better than just me trying to just jam his clothes on or, or forcing him to do it. Uh, he's just in a better mood and, and happier. And I, so I just wonder, uh, you know, my parents will be here soon. I, I'll, I'll ask them. I wonder okay. if it's easier. It's, it's, I wonder if they would say it'd be easier to just yeah. try to get him to do it. But I, every kid is different. So I mean, one yeah. is like um, short takes less time. That's the like, do this or you're dead. <laughs> Versus you have to be a little more creative, I think, to do the convincing and inspiring. So I don't know. Yes, you do. But I'm, you know, I'm excited to go back to work and try to see if I can use some of the stuff I've learned as a parent nice. to like... Oh, maybe I can convince my team with some of these tactics. <laughs> they're probably listening and being like, "Oh my god!" They're just their antennas are out. They're like, yeah, sensible. Like, no, thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Shall we move on to the next one? Yeah, let's go. The next question. I'd love to hear more about cross-functional work of product managers with customer-facing teams, CX, sales, account management, etc. This is an excellent question. Mm-hmm. Um, what it made me think of was that. These three teams that are listed, and a lot of teams like it, CX, sales, account management, they are an incredible source of customer feedback and perspective, right? Wouldn't you agree? Totally. Yeah, they're unfiltered and they get you out of your bias. Like I think everyone thinks a good partner is another PM in like an adjacent kind of space, but I've always found that people outside of product management tend to have the most unique perspective on things. And it's just healthier to have more voices um, that may be close to the customer in different ways. Like I'm really close to the quant. They're really close to the qual. 100%. And they're very direct about the qual that they get. Mm -hmm. Um, 
most of the time because the customers they're talking to are pretty direct too. So yeah, um, it's it's really wonderful to just get it straight, no chaser. Um, you know, you get to feel all of the burn uh, that they feel <laughs> when they're taking the phone call. Yeah. Uh, so so that's pretty that's pretty great. So I think it's important to try to do three things with these teams that are pretty customer facing. One, assign them to the team that you're working on. So if you have like team meetings or even like maybe a higher level meeting with like an X team meeting where you've got multiple teams attending the same meeting, make sure they're there so that they can provide their provide their perspective about whatever you're talking about. Two, make sure they are able to be assigned to your team. So when you're working on projects and stuff, make sure that somebody is there as a resource. You know, in my case, I meet with the CX team every couple of weeks so I can show them the new stuff that we're working on. Oh, and nice. they can tell us if something is uh, needs to be updated for the process or how it's going to work with customers and stuff. Yeah, I thought that was, that was pretty helpful. And then three, have some... Uh, this actually that that meeting that I have is probably fits into number three more than number two. Number two is probably more of like sprint meetings. Uh, your your uh, sprint planning meetings or um, retros and stuff might be helpful to have those teams there. Uh, and then the third item is having some one on one time together to learn more about issues that they identify. So that should be a two way conversation. One, you're sharing stuff that you've looked at, like I mentioned earlier, but also they're able to share the stuff that they're seeing out in the field. So you kind of get a direct conduit of that information. Anything that you would add? Um, I think it's healthy to uh, make yourself available, even ad hoc. Like sometimes, you know, most companies mid to big have a ticketing system for customer support. And it can be really dry and hard to interpret like support tickets that come your way. Um, so if you make yourself available, like I'll always have like an ongoing Slack um, with the PMM or the customer support rep or the account manager um, for that feature um, so that they can give me context that I can't really pull out from a ticket. Um, and that's mm. all, always been good. Uh, yeah. One time I joined a customer call that just changed so much of my understanding. I think at this time it was like, it was at Udemy. Um, and, you know, Udemy obviously cares um, not just about instructors and students, but also businesses um, that are trying to select the right, you know, education or learning platform for their employees. Um, and that was just a part of the business that I wasn't as exposed to because I search, you kind of think about you're optimizing for this marketplace. Being on a customer call um, with that division of our business gave me a user perspective that I can't even see in the quant. Like mm. I can't divide out um, employees versus non-employees and their different search patterns. Um, so it was really great to have regular access, um, have constant communication, and then get invited to some of these like, you know, golden egg opportunities to listen to someone tell you how you suck and how you can <laughs> <laughs> you suck straight to your face. Uh, that's that's pretty wonderful. Yeah, I, I actually had a note here. Sometimes CX teams have programs where stakeholders can answer the phones. Like mm. you can go to sit in on customer calls at, at the call center. I really love those. Yeah. So if you don't have a program like that, I would encourage your company to sell, set one up or help set one up. It's a great learning experience. And if there is one where you work, participate. It's a great way to really internalize that voice of the customer, understand where the problems and opportunities are. This also applies to sales teams. Like you were mentioning, if you have a sales team, you're working on an enterprise product and you can sit in on sales calls. I've sat in on sales calls at previous companies before and it's great. You get to mm -hmm. hear what they need, right? Straight there. You know, these are people that are very invested in what you're trying to do. So they're going to give you, they're going to give it to you straight. For sure. Yeah. Which is it just makes you really tougher and stronger and like a more well rounded yeah. PM. Like and no one likes to hear how things don't work, but it's like you hear it there, or then you see it turn into some like multi quarter project because you yeah. ignored it for so long. I a hundred percent agree. It definitely yeah. makes sense to try to 
understand that stuff because just like you said, if you don't, it can just fester and get worse. It's like a poopy baby diaper, you know? Yeah. You, don't, you don't want that to sit around. <laughs> yeah, so, totally. Uh, you're going to find out about it one way or another. And uh, so you might as well deal with it now. So, yeah, uh, I thought that was great. And the last thing I was going to mention, if you, I like to be tied into those teams. So if there are Slack channels that you can be a part of where customer experience, sales, account management, they're all talking about these different topics, reports that I can receive or read, I'd, I'd just jump all over those. Those are really yeah. great, great ways to stay connected. Yeah, dude, one hot tip on that. Um, the last time I worked at a company that used Slack, I'm guessing you could do this on Microsoft Teams too, but I would organize my channels by like, oh, these are all the customer support channels. Um, these are all the like immediate team channels. And then here are some like whatever, like other categories I cared about. But the customer support kind of like category with all the channels for like, here's CS, here's account management, here's P1s from competitive uh, sites or whatever. Those were so healthy to like read through on Fridays or on Mondays. Like I'm not staying in tune with them live, but mm -hmm. come prioritization time, you want to look at problems. You just go to like your little category, go to those channels and read through. That like helped me so many times. That's great. Yeah, that's a yeah. great hot tip. I should start doing that. That sounds yeah. definitely better than just trying to dive in. Every There's so other many day. threads, you know? Yeah. Um, and then like if you just earmark it on your calendar, you don't feel guilty for not doing it often enough and you don't miss anything valuable. Yeah, this is great. I'm glad we do this podcast. And now I get to steal <laughs> stuff from Ira too. Fantastic. <laughs> Thank you as always for joining us for Product Happy Hour. If you enjoyed Happy Hour today, please support us by subscribing at our website, producthappyhour.com and consider it a paid subscription. There are two options. It's either $5 a month or $30 a year for one Starbucks latte a month or one DoorDash order a year. You can help us keep this party going. Thank you in advance for your support. You can also support the show and do us a huge, huge solid by hitting that subscribe button on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please also rate the show five stars on your platform of choice or like the video on YouTube. It really helps us out. Follow us on Instagram or TikTok for clips at Product Happy HR. And please share with your friends and spread the word. The more people at the bar, the merrier. Thank you so much for listening to the show. And we'll see you next time. Cheers, everybody. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs>